Amen. Go ahead and give her a hand for the great work that she's doing. Thank you, Lisa, for coming and being with us today. Let the children get out of here. Um, maybe we ought to all go back. I wonder where the fun is today, all right? Um, I didn't get to talk to the PowerPoint people. The first ones go pretty fast, all right? All right, what I... talking about getting the most out of life, and I... And I, boy, I'm just one of those people, I, that's what I like. I like to, I think life is here to live, isn't it? I like to get a lot out of it. But by living positively. Now, here, here are some things we kind of measure by, all right? If you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with, with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day, day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you, when, though no one, no fault of yours, something goes wrong, if you can take criticism, blame without resentment, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can do all these things then you're probably the family dog. (laughs) The truth is, the truth is, there's a lot of things in our environment. There's a lot of pressures, and it isn't all that easy. But I would like to talk to you about being positive, even though it's not necessarily everything in your life is always so smooth and so much fun. I I really believe, the question is, is what does it take for, what does a positive Christian look like? Being positive, what does it really look like? Now, I, I believe it's more than the story I heard of a woman, you know, she, she got up and testified about her transformation. She, said, she says, um, you know, the result of my conversion, I'm so glad I got religion. I have an uncle I used to hate so much, I vowed I'd never go to his funeral. But now, why well, I'm so happy, I'll do it any time. <laughs> it's more than that, all right? It is something that is real. It's something that has changed us. Now, as I look at this, this biblical pictures, I would like to paint something maybe on something that Jesus said. He speaks about if a thief comes only to rob and kill and destroy, I came so everyone would have life and have it to its fullest. Do you see the pictures there? One thing is there's one part of life, there's always something trying to steal it away, on the other side, there's God giving us life and giving us that joy and that fulfillment. I want to promise you, God wants the best for your life. Jesus came so that you could have life and have the best of life. But the thief would steal your wife away. This, this world is not a friend of grace. There are forces out there that would love to make you unhappy. I really believe that you can be very negative. There are things that literally steal your life away from you. Satan, negative people, critical um, religious people. Sometimes the biggest critics are those people that are supposed to be spiritual or something like that. All those things, the negative effects of sin, of the fallen world that we live in, I want you to understand me. There's only really one power or person pulling for you, and that's God. God wants you to have the best. God wants to have positive things in your life, and that's how we need to respond. So what does it look like? Now, uh, Paul cites a church 
that he was looking at. It's the church at Philippi. And if I would call the church at Philippi, I would call it something, how to live a positive life. This church glowed with it. And in his final thoughts to that church, this is Paul's instructions. He says, be joyful, don't worry. It's kind of like that song, right? Be joyful, or be, don't worry, be happy. Is that right? We could have put that song in there this morning, but I didn't get with the worship team in time. Well, I guess it had some of the wrong lyrics there, but Paul gives us that grid. He gives us kind of a grid to this church and his final instructions of what this should look like, okay? That's what I want to give to you. I want to give you a positive grid, and then I want to talk to us how do we get there, all right? The positive grid for life, I believe, is in Philippians, the fourth chapter, and verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is what I want to give to you. Fix your thoughts on what is true, in honorable, in right, in pure, in lovely, in admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, Paul was always into not conforming. I don't want you to become a religious person, all right? What I would like to happen is for you to be transformed with the renewing of your mind. There's something that is greater than that. I would talk about this as the inner person, the commitment to fix your thoughts, to develop the inner person to be a positive person versus what I would say that so often is in the workplace or in the world out there where everything is negative. Life is not just a pain. It's more than that. And we need to get as Christians to inside of us there is something greater than that. Look at it. Let's look at the grid for a minute. True. Does it conform to God's Word? Is there, this is the plumb line. Is it what I'm looking at? Even though in an uncomfortable situation it may be, there is something that will help us to measure up what is true. Do we have the Scriptures? Is it honorable? Does it promote the right conduct? It's never honorable for us to put down a sinner. Did you know that? I never, in all of my studies of Jesus Christ and His Word, I never find Him going around putting down sinners. I've heard him be a little critical of the religious people. But those who are hurting... So do do you see what I'm trying to talk about? There's something more for us for it to be the right conduct. We we don't want it to... We want it to be something more that we don't want to offend those people around us. Is it right? Is it truth or is it fabricated? Um, When you run with a piece of gossip that you don't know is really true or if it isn't helpful that's that's what this is talking about is it right or is it something that is false is it pure not contaminated with bad things you know so often we we look at things and maybe we see part of what is good but we don't but with so often there's bad that's with it or we tell stories and we embellish it or basically that is maybe even the basis of some of the negative feelings whether in the workplace or wherever, is it lovely or is it inspiring? Calling forth love, does it inspire you? The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. We're not to be dishonest, but we're to be everything that we say. It's always in love or we don't say it. There should be something that is inspiring about us. Christians should be different from those in the world. How we deal with those people around, if we don't inspire them, then there's something that we need to readjust within our own life. Is it admirable? Does it create a sense of longing? 
Is there a pull toward what is right? It, uh, our very attitude, the very thing that's inside of us, is it pulling us toward Christ and toward what is good? Helping that person find it. You know, every time I get into one of those settings, it's been a privilege recently, um, I guess, to do some counseling, premarital counseling. And, and in the process, I find that this couple wants me to serve communion for the sacrament. And so I think, well, I'm, I need to sit down because one of the individuals there is from a Wiccan background. So I, I want, I'm not serving communion to a non-Christian, so I begin to talk to them about what Christ is. And you know what? Tears well up in their eyes as you talk about complete forgiveness and their sins being totally forgiven, taken from, separated from them from the east to the west, buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. There should be something about us when we talk about what we believe and what we live that it draws people. Well, I didn't mean to get off on that. Is it excellent? I love this. Is it first class, not the worst class, right? Is there something about what we do and how we talk about things? See, I think Christians, if they're so positive, people will want to be like them. Are you a positive person in the workplace or wherever you do business until people look at you and say, wow, there's something there. I really want that. I want to be friends with them. I want to get close to them. Is it the first class? See, there's sometimes... We as Christians so often, as long as it's not wrong, then, it's, then we don't care about it. But I would like to challenge you that, to go to a different level and say that I want to go first class. I think that was some first class worship here this morning, don't you? I think you ought to put your hands together and thank those who are so busy doing that all the time. Amen? I think all that we do should be the very best that we can do. It's never being satisfied in anything in our life. Being positive means I want to be first class about everything, whether it's my language or my service within the church or whatever I do. Is it praiseworthy? Does it create awe? Give me a church that fills people with awe about their lifestyle, and I'll tell you that's going to be an unstoppable church that you can never stop. It's about the all that is created there. The question is then, how do we become those wonderful, positive people? You know, I'm not talking about just something on the surface, but something that wells up in us that we're this every day because it's natural for us. Are there some things or areas should we watch? I always want to talk about positive people. I want to say there's something different because there's something different on the inside that has a way of coming to the outside. Jesus often talked about the inner person. When it is changed, it changes the outer person. Let's talk about it, can we? I would like to, in this section, talk to you about how do we get there. And the, the, I would call it guarding the wellspring of my life, okay, of your life or of life. Above all, the Proverbs, this is wisdom speaking here, above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. What I'm talking about this morning is something that happens inside here that must come to the outside. Guard your heart. There's a tremendous relationship between the body, the mind, and the soul, isn't there? There's a relationship that takes place here. Look what John talks about. It's in the, one of his last letters he writes, Dear friends, I pray that you, may, or you would enjoy good health, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I like that. 
I would like to see Christians this morning that take care of themselves physically and mentally, but along with that, they're constantly building and disciplining and developing the inner self. I believe there's some things that can happen to you. You know, when a heart is sick, when you're sick on the inside, it goes everywhere with you. People know what you are on the inside. There's a grant that always talks about, there's a story about Grandpa. He had this great big mustache, you know, and he always, you know, how sometimes older people are. You know, they lay back, you know, and sleep, and he's snoring away in his chair, and the kids get an idea, you know. They go in the refrigerator, and they find some Limburger cheese, and they, they spread it in his mustache. And he kind of wakes up, and he says, Boy, something really stinks in this room. So he walks out to the kitchen and he says, something really stinks out in this kitchen. So he goes outside. He's going to really get out to where he can get some fresh air. He says, the whole world stinks. <laughs> and there's something about that. There's people that when they're sick on the inside, the whole world stinks around them. Now, I am not preaching something that, that's necessary that you can change everything on the outside but what i would like to help you as christians do is move beyond easy believism to something that is real that god helps you in every day of your life and i believe that that's guarding the wellspring of your life trying to use that kind of the wellspring as i as it comes out of that particular and it's it's a great metaphor that i would like to use throughout the message because i think that when you have something that's bubbling up on the inside it's what changes us. But on the other side of that, I call it the deserts of fatality. I, I was trying to look at something that would fit in here. The real simple thing is the, my, the, probably what I'm talking about, the soul that loses its way, but to make it a little more flowery here today, it's the fatality of the desert. How many people are living in the desert instead of letting the wellspring of their life well up in them in whatever circumstances? I in that fatality of the desert, I would find the drowning pools of self-centered life. America is very involved with this. Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. Now, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to look at the PowerPoint, but I think I sent a picture of Narcissus. Is he, is, do we have him up there? Do you see him looking at the pool, at the pool down below him? And he's admiring himself. There's not a more beautiful pe person in Greek mythology. He couldn't find anybody to marry because nobody was as beautiful as himself. Finally, in Greek mythology, Echo kind of makes a, ma uh, a mate for him because Echo's everything he is. Have, I mean, do I need to preach on anymore? There's a lot of people living in that world. Those who fall with love in the, of themselves and with themselves it's, a, it's the opposite of what I'm preaching about. Instead of being about you, Jesus talks about emptying yourself out. We strive... See, here's what's happened to, uh, so often with the American public and so many around us. We strive to fill ourselves only to find out that we're empty. Isn't that right? We strive so hard to find a way to fill ourselves. But Jesus talks about emptying himself that he, to live fully. That's what we're talking about for a few minutes. There's the destructive cli cliffs of self-indulgent life. That everything is about just getting all that you get. Paul writes to us and he says, Be imitators of God, 
Therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragment offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you get the picture there? Christ pours out his life that he may find to bring full life to all of us and invites us to do the same thing. I like that because, you see, I believe that some people are, are just disillusioned. They are so sorbed with themselves. They're in big trees. They're looking around. They're trying to find out, where can I find happiness? And they can't find it anywhere because it's not there for them because they're so involved in that self-absorption. Did I skip one? I skipped ahead, didn't I? Thank you. The delusional force of self-absorption. Let me just pick up something here, and I apologize for doing that. that, that some are living where inside of them it's an empty hole. It's a black hole. It's a bottomless hole. I, I, I described it in the past as something like this. Have you ever seen people like this? They're, looking, they're having what's called somebody sickness. They're looking for a friend or a companion to come into their life to make them happy but they can't find it anywhere. They're so involved. In it. Or they have destination disease. If, I, if they can't find it in this church, maybe they can find it in another church. Or if they can't find it in this community or this workplace or wherever they are living, it's always someplace else. Not in my notes, but this is good advice. Do you know why the neighbor's yard is always greener than your yard? Have you ever heard that? You know why. The septic tank is leaking, all right? But it's always someplace else. But you see, I believe there's a wellspring that can come from within us that makes all the difference. If we empty out our lives and let Christ in, something else is going to take place. One of the promises that Jesus gave us is this. Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within, giving them eternal life. Don't you like that? See, he's talking to the woman at the well. She must have been searching. How many husbands or not, none husbands that she already have? If you remember the story, I'm not going to get into that story. But she, he, he promised. Jesus said, I believe there's living substance that can be in your heart that's a wellspring. It is always bubbling up, giving you life. Right along with what I'm preaching about this morning, I told you this so that you would, be you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, what I'm really going to describe here, in fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, it's, I believe that there's a life that we call, and can I put it, that we live insanely happy, huh? I, I kind of like that, you know, just insanely happy. Listen to the instructions. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Paul is writing this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God concerning you who belong in Christ. Wow. You know, I've, I've thought of this, I've looked at this. Typically, if I would take this without just being very religious, I would say, that's probably an airhead, right? Now, let's be honest about it. I mean, they're walking around and nothing's wrong. Everything, I'm just happy, you know. I believe that there's something more to Christianity than just being an airhead. I believe there's a joy that God can put in your life. I love the story, and this is kind of just thrown in here to kind of help us find where we are, but there's a fortune teller studied 
the hand of the young man. He said, well, let me tell you, you'll be poor and very unhappy until you're 37 years old. And the young man said, well, after that will happen, will I be rich and happy? He said, no, you'll just still be poor, but you'll get used to it by then. I think sometimes Christians are just getting used to being something they should not be. Is that not right? We're getting used to being unhappy, used to being unfulfilled in our lives, and before long we go to church, we sing the praises, but we don't deal with that inner self that is not bubbling up like it should be. Well, I, just in a very rich philosophical thought, theology of Charles Schultz, you find Charlie Brown, he's talking to Lucy, Lucy's talking to him, and Lucy says, you know what life is like? It says it's like being on a deck chair, maybe on a cruise ship or something. It's like being on a deck chair. Some people like to sit their deck chairs to see where they've been. And other people like to sit on a deck chair so they can see where they're going. And other like to, people like to sit on a deck chair to just see where they are right now. And Charlie Brown says, well, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. <laughs> I don't know where you are with that, but you understand what I'm talking about. I'd like to get you to the place that's more than just a little believism, but something where you get your deck chair unfolded a little bit and learn to live. Well, what is the joy of the Lord? How does it happen? See, some of us are quite content to live in, living in a prison of discontent, aren't we? We make that life and we live in it. And nobody's going to get you out of it. Did you know the world don't care how unhappy you are? Sometimes maybe your mate doesn't seem to care that much. I don't know. And the church members or whatever. But I would like to tell you that there is a place on the inner self where God can take that away from you and give you the joy that is what... Now, here's the thing. I cannot make, tell or make the situations around you. Some of you are waiting for the situations to make you happy, right? I'm going to tell you, the world is not where you get your happiness or this environment or wherever you're living. Most of us are going, many of us, you know, not in my notes, I shouldn't go there, I know. I was recently doing uh, some studies, um, classes with the chaplaincy, and I looked down, you know, I'm dealing with people my age, I don't like the picture, this is the description, you know, they're probably going to get older, they're not going to get better. <laughs> they're, they're, they've fixed where they are in life, they're not going to get rich at this point. If they had not already got rich, a few will. But, I mean, it's, a, it's not a very good picture after you get past a certain age beyond 39. <laughs> but you can't change the environment, see. But what you can change is the attitude you live in that environment. That's where Paul gives you instruction. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, you see, Paul is living in a prison at this time. He's writing one of his prison epistles. Now, I have to say, Paul, are you in your right mind? I mean, you don't know where you're headed here. You, you're probably going to be put to death someplace. You're up here in the prison, and you're writing to the church, I say to you, rejoice! And again, I say rejoice! Everything! Listen, Paul isn't saying, you know, I am just having such so much fun up here in prison that I'm going to write back to you that if you were really a Christian, you're going to have so much fun. No, he's saying no matter what the environment is, I am still going to be happy on the inside. Be full of joy. I kind of like that. He kind of preaches that. 
there's a mental, spiritual, emotional environment that comes from the attitude within that needs to be full of joy. Your attitude determines your approach to life. If joy is a part of your attitude, it's part of your life. You know what? I am kind of glad that I am part of something bigger than myself. I'm experiencing God within me. Yes, I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. You know what? I, I really think... I really think that when you really live in Christ, there is something more begins to happen. My third point is, if I'm experiencing Christ, if I remain in Him, I'm experiencing fruitfulness. And what I would like to say, fruitfulness is fun. Isn't it? Amen. <laughs> there is something about that when you get into this area, that when you begin to live, and there's a favorite phrase, and I'm not going to preach this whole message, I'm going to, probably cut off a little bit of this, all right? Don't say amen, pray today, please. <laughs> Go a little bit longer, preacher. Can't you say that? No. But I feel like I ought to just go right here and just center right, a little bit on this wellspring. And what I, what I really find that when you're in Christ, there's something that begins to happen, and there's a fruitfulness that takes place, and you begin to experience something that you cannot experience on your own. There's an inner power that God makes available to us. Let's look at what some of that is. I have, I have loved you even as the Father has loved you, Jesus says. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed you. My Father's commandments remain and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You see... <laughs> I have a whole message. I want to preach it, you know, and I don't have time about how you can have the joy of the Lord because you are living in the love of God. God's love. See, Paul never preaches about Christians. Did you know that? He hardly ever uses that term. He uses the term, this is, he calls those who are in Christ. What I think maybe we ought to say, we ought to put a billboard out on our church. This is a church full of people in Christ, not Christians. There's, Christians kind of have a bad name in some places after all. But I have the idea that you are in Christ. And by being in his love and living in his world and allowing him to fill you, then he gives you an inner joy that you don't get on your own. Well, I'm in God's love. Well, let me see how I can skip down through it. I'd like to take you to all of all of the positive chapter, living positive, Romans 8 chapter, and that's what I don't have time to preach on this morning. But everything in that chapter is about how you become positive. Up until this, Romans chapter 1 through 7 is about how you're having trouble with, with the flesh and how you're having trouble living up to the law and how, how you're having trouble in a fallen world. But when you get to Romans, there's something changes because in Christ... Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The whole chapter is about living in another state. My challenge to you is to make certain that something is happening in you that is more than just that. Now, if you could kind of skip to, I don't know, living spiritually, okay? Can you get there? See, I, I really believe 
that not only is this an attitude and not only is this a positive effect because I find out that Christ has forgiven my sins and now I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, but I believe that there is a world that we live in that is very spiritual, okay? Don't be in the flesh. Be in the spirit. The new worldview for a Christian is different than the old worldview. The new worldview is something that you see life as Christ would see life and not the old way of thinking. The spiritual person is like this. Over in Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 17 through 19, it writes, Paul writes it this way. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Wow. See, I could preach well, but that is, that is the good stuff there, isn't it? Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. Do you see the beautiful picture that Paul is painting here? And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people would, should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. My invitation, if you want to really find joy in life, begin to work your circumstances and get it beyond it and say, God, what are you really trying to do? And begin to live in Christ and let God begin to speak to you where you are in those circumstances until there's a new view of where you are, until your attitude changes. And then experience. May you experience the love of Christ. Wow. And I probably took the wrong sermon text, shouldn't I? I should have just stayed on this scripture. Though it is too great to fully understand, you're going to discover it the whole walk, then you will be made complete in all the fullness of life in the power that comes from God. I say to you that is the work of God that's beyond our own ability that God works in us. Then he goes on in another passage. He writes, Do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the original Greek doesn't really, cannot really be translated because we don't have all the moods and the passages. We don't have all the, the capability within the English language to to translate, we don't have all the tense, the moods, and so forth. But what that scripture really is something like this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and continually be filled. See, this is an ongoing process. It's not enough for you to take a little trip to the altar and receive the Holy Spirit. You need to have Him in His fullness and you need to practice His presence day by day as that Holy Spirit meets you. That's the reason why we preach about having devotions in the morning or as soon as you can in the day. That's the reason why we encourage you to get into Scriptures because daily you need a fresh touch. You're not going to be positive in the world you live in. Are you with me? You're not going to be naturally positive. You're going to see so many negative things. You need to have a spiritual bath just like you take a shower. I, I'm terrible. I mean, I, my family, don't ask them, but if you did, you would find that I'm the biggest grouch. I can't get along with anybody until I shave and I shower. And some of you are hard to get along because you never have that spiritual bath where you're bathed in the Holy Spirit and you're very unpresentable to the world. You're just kind of nasty. You're kind of grubby out there, all right? I'm tired of seeing the grubby Christians running around because they haven't learned to be walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Learning to be sensitive. Learning to practice the grace of God. I don't know how those Christians have done it through the centuries. But when I read in Fox's book of Martyrs, 
here's a bunch of Christians, you know, and they're gathering. There's different stories. There, I, there are too many stories, too numerous, where maybe a hundred people of the inner guard of Rome was put actually out on a frozen lake to renounce it. Instead, they sung the gospel, they sung the hymns until not one of them could sing any longer. Or if you find the pictures or hear the stories of how they're being tied to the stake and the the kindlings around them and the fires leaping up and they sing until they can't sing anymore. What are the realities of that? All I know is I believe that in the toughest places that you and I walk, the grace of God can reach us. I always like to tell the story. Can I... Can I reminisce back to my old my life? I was a, I was a teenage boy. I grew up in the, out on, in South Dakota. Actually, I was on the Wagner Ranch out there. And um, it wasn't a ranch. It was really a farm. They'd sold the ranch. They only had 1,000 acres. You know, this is South Dakota. And this isn't here in the east. This is where the big farms are, you know. But one of the jobs I would do in the middle of the summer as a teenager is I would go up there and I'd help out in the Wagner farm and I'd get paid to bring in the hay. Now, you have to understand in South Dakota in the middle of the summer, that's the big sun country. Now, you think the sun is in Florida, but South Dakota, that's, that's their emblem too. You know why? Because the sun shines, there's no clouds in the sky. In Florida, there's clouds in the skies, okay? But in big sky country, there's no clouds. But it's hot and it's dry heat. But I remember being out there on that old farm, and I would be putting it. We, we, it's kind of some of it's kind of antiquated. We still use an elevator or anything like that. We had this tractor. We'd take this hay and we'd put it in a sling. And we'd, we would, the tractor then would pull on a rope, and it would pull that sling up into the barn, and we'd go to the back. Every once in a while, that thing would break, and that dust would come all over us. And you're in 110 degree hot heat, and you just can't hardly take anything more. You feel like you're dying. But there's one thing on this little farm that just Oh, that, that brings me back to this wellspring idea. Over here, somehow, early when they developed the farm, they had this well, or they had this pipe. It just came out of the ground and ran over it, fed the cattle, whatever. But in the middle of that hot summer, it was an artesian where it would be a cold stream of water. Now, if you've never drunk at something like that, and you're out there, I mean, I know Powerade and all those things, you know that... That will bring the beads out of you and all the color or whatever the advertisement tells you. But there's nothing, there is nothing like being at the well and when you have something that's from, from out of nowhere, it just comes and it, you can't, you know, one thing you can't do to an artesian well, you can't cap it off. If you do, you don't get it anymore. You have to let it, year round, that water just pour out of that two-inch pipe. It would just shoot out of that pipe and you'd put your cup on, almost blow your cup away, but it was ice cold. My invitation to you this morning is to tap into something bigger than you. Are you with me? Something that is real. Something that is more than just believism, but it's living in Christ. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in a bad place. Maybe the world around you seems to be crumbling, but I want to tell you there's something that will hold you. There's something that is real that God can keep you. I don't, know if, I don't know how developed you are as a Christian. That isn't the question. Sometimes the old Christians get kind of mothy and old and stale, don't we? We need a message like this too. We need to remember it's more than just being religious. It's being real until God's love and God's grace is flowing out of us. I want us just to think for a minute. Let's 
just ask God, where are we? Are we letting the circumstances around us dictate to how we feel? And I, I want to talk to you even as a church. Are we letting the circumstances of the church right here dictate to us what kind of church we are? Are we discovering something bigger than ourselves? Are you with me? I want to pray with you in closing this morning. And I want you to invite you to the wellspring. Maybe in the closing song when we take the offering, if we could just enjoy God and say, God, come. I'm too much in myself. I just want you to be real. Let me pray with you. God, we know that this world that we live in is no friend of grace. And we know that there's so much negative things that's happening all around us and it's so easy for us to become negative people. And we know that there's nothing that stinks more to the world than a negative Christian. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would do something real within our hearts. It's something that we can't see. It's not something that we can apply ourselves. It's only as we become in you part of the vine, the grace, the bubbling of your joy within our hearts. Lord, if there's a person this morning that's lost that joy, we pray that you'd restore it to them. Lord, if there's a person this morning that, that the circumstances of life have so pressed them that they have given in to looking at the circumstances, Lord, we just pray this morning that you would give them grace and give them liberty and give them of your power. In Jesus' name we come. Amen.